Sharing helps others realize that what we're dealing with is not shameful. And by sharing, we can help each other get through the bad days. It's a lot to bear sometimes. And being able to talk about it helps sometimes, but being able to talk about it and it helping somebody else helps a whole lot. That voice is none other than the trailblazing Shoshana Johnson, former U.S. Army soldier and prisoner of war and advocate for female veterans. Hello, everyone. I'm Celeste Headley. Welcome to Women Amplified from the Conferences for Women. In this episode, we'll talk to Shoshana Johnson about her work highlighting the experiences of female veterans, shifting the narrative for women in the military, and helping to forge a new trail ahead. You'll no doubt walk away from this conversation inspired by her courage and her strength, of course. But there are also great takeaways here on things like embracing the power of vulnerability and living your best life in spite of obstacles, teaching others how you want to be treated, and acting with authenticity both at home and at work. So let's dive in. I am so pleased to be here with Shoshana Johnson to talk about how to get through tough times. And, you know, Shoshana, most people are not going to be through the kind of tough situation that you were in, but I bet the qualities that got you through that, that helped you survive that fear and anxiety might be helpful to others. So how did you do that? How did you survive? Well, it's really hard to say. You know, you don't know what you can handle until you have to. So you rely on things through your life that build you up. I've had a great family who showed me love and support. I have faith, my religious faith, and just a desire to go forward, basically. And I think those are things most people have within them. You just have to dig deep within yourself to find it, to let it click in your head to help you push forward and knowing that there is something on the other end for you. Did you find yourself having to talk to yourself on days when it was really rough? Did you have conversations with yourself to help you get through? Oh, yes. I talk to myself often. (laughs) I still do. I still do. During my captivity, there were lots of times when I chastised myself for past actions. And also I thought of how I would go forward and make changes in my life for the betterment of myself and for my daughter. But it really came down to my faith for me. You know, not everybody is a religious person, but you have to have some kind of faith in yourself to survive and go forward and make things better for yourself after. You were under threat of sexual assault the whole time. You've said that you were worried that you might put other soldiers in danger if they tried to protect you from an assault, but they did try to protect you. What kind of impact did that have on you to be worried for them and also to see them risking themselves to try to protect you anyway? One of my guards who actually slept outside my cell one night because there was an incident earlier that evening where a guard put his hands on me and The next morning I woke up, I had to go to the bathroom and, you know, they answered kind of quickly when I pounded to go to the bathroom. And 
he opened the door and I saw his sleeping mat right in front of my door. He slept outside my door. I hope that this would be something that any person would do for another person that they thought may be in danger. Not just because I was a female, not because I was black or anything like that, just as a human being for a human being, stepping forward when you think they may need help. Sexual assault is not just something that all women have to worry about. It is especially something that female soldiers have to worry about. It's been a problem in the military for years. We just got a brand new report from the Pentagon that shows sexual assaults actually increased 13% last year, despite the billions that the Pentagon has spent trying to solve this problem. And I wonder what advice you might give, not just to women on how to protect themselves, but to male soldiers as well on how to make sure that they are protecting everyone. Well, I think they are thinking of the after effects instead of prevention. You know, they want to make it easier for reporting and so forth, but you need to stop it before it gets that far. And one way to do that is education. You need to have males and females talking to each other openly about what they feel is acceptable, what they don't feel is acceptable. Also, a big part of that is mental health. We have males and females who have come back from tours of duty and they're dealing with trauma. Rape is not necessarily about sexual attraction. It's about power and control. And after you come back from a situation where you had no power and control, this may be a way for you to exert it. And if we got more mental health professionals out there to help these men and women, maybe we can help decrease the episodes of sexual assault and even suicide. I mean, speaking of mental health, you have been extremely honest about your own struggle to recover and the battle with PTSD. You very easily could have kept that information private. That's your personal medical information and not talk about this. Why has it been so important for you to open up about this and make this a public conversation? Sharing helps others realize that what we're dealing with is not shameful. And by sharing, we can help each other get through the bad days. It's a lot to bear sometimes. And being able to talk about it helps sometimes, but being able to talk about it and it helping somebody else helps a whole lot. How do you advise other people to do that? I mean, this conference is all about women supporting women. And so for those who are hearing your story and saying, I want to be there for someone else, how would you suggest they do that? You know, it's the little things. I have a group of friends, some of them from high school, and out of the clear blue sky, I'll get a text. Hey, how you doing? It doesn't have to be on Veterans Day, Memorial Day, the anniversary, just out of the clear blue sky. If they pop into your head, send them a text. You don't know what's happening with that person at that moment that that text may save them. A simple nod saying, I see you is a big deal. Little gestures to say, you know, you need me, don't need me. I'm just in the background. It's really simple things. It's not necessarily the big hoopla oh, you're a veteran, you've done so much and all that big speech and stuff like that. A simple nod of acknowledgement goes way beyond all of that. A simple text to say, I think of you, you need me, let me know. Hell, just out of the clear blue side, say you want to grab lunch. Or better yet, if you think they're not ready to come out, say, hey, 
I'm sending you a DoorDash just to make sure you eat. And even then, because the, the person has to deliver it, you know that they're all right. It's little things, little, little things, not necessarily the huge grand gestures, because sometimes that brings attention and we're not ready for it. I read that one of the biggest mistakes that people make is that they underestimate how long it takes to recover. And, you know, a few months down the road, they'll be like, hey, how you doing? And pretending as though nothing happened and they've gone out of that support mode too soon. What could people watch for? What am I watching for in my friends? What should I be looking for to see how they're doing? I mean, I don't want to constantly be prying. I don't want to constantly be asking them, how are you? No, really, how are you? Well, one of the biggest things you need to realize is they're never going to be the same. Every experience in your life changes you a little bit. You're never going to be the same. You're not the same in fifth grade as you were in first grade. You mature, you change a little bit. So stop thinking that they're going to revert to a certain way. Acknowledge the fact that they're going to be different. They're going to react to everything differently. So instead of saying, how are you? Maybe you should say, how are you different? I mean, and that could be a hard conversation to have. You'd be like, well, you used to do this, but I know you don't anymore because, you know, you changed. We all changed. And acknowledge that. I think that's the biggest thing. I remember my dad used to say when I first came home, I want the daughter I gave the army back. And I had to tell him that, daddy, that daughter's gone. I'm gone. So they had to change how they dealt with me, period. Don't ever think that that person is going to be normal again. There's going to be a new normal and you're going to have to learn what that new normal is and when that new normal goes out of whack. It's a learning experience. So you were awarded the Bronze Star. That's given for heroic service in a combat zone. Congratulations. That's amazing. (laughs) You experienced this at the same time as Jessica Lynch. And that name may be familiar to a lot of people. She became very well known as a POW after she was rescued. She had hours and hours of media coverage. There was a TV movie made about her experience. She got a $1 million book deal. That is quite different from your experience. And I know that you say that between the two of you, there's absolutely no ill will, which makes sense. But systematically, what do you make of that huge disparity in the media coverage? Optics for, you know, there's different layers to it. First, when she was rescued, the military had no idea where me and the guys were. So they built it up as a big deal because, quite frankly, they didn't think they were going to get us back alive. That was the honest truth. And I heard it being said. And someone higher up said it, you know, soldier, I didn't think we were going to get you at all. So they played it up a specific way. Now, to say that their race didn't have anything to do with it would be naive. Very naive. Yes, it played a part. But the public pays a big part in that. The media feeds us what we ask for. If there is no demand for that, then they will not supply it. You're listening to a conversation with Shoshana Johnson on Women Amplified. If you live outside our four conference states, or maybe you weren't able to register for an in-person Conference for Women event this year, well, we have some news for you. Introducing the first ever National Conference for Women. 
It's a groundbreaking virtual gathering that takes place this Women's History Month. The 100% online National Conference for Women will bring together attendees from all across the country for a full day of inspiration, career-building resources, networking opportunities, and so much more. So go to conferencesforwomen.org to learn more and check out the iconic speaker lineup, including author Margaret Atwood, actress Michelle Yeoh, and Vanity Fair editor-in-chief Radhika Jones. Learn more at conferencesforwomen.org. Now, let's get back to the conversation. The media portrayed her as this defenseless little blonde at first, and then they talk about she was Rambo. They went back and forth. The fact of the matter is Jessica was not a defenseless little blonde. She was a soldier just like the rest of us. She was capable of defending herself and so forth. They blew it up to give that perfect Hollywood aspect, basically. You really have to think of the whole picture. People bought into it. If they had rejected it from the get-go, it would have never went as far as it did. So we, as a public, play a part of it. They give us what we demand. And if we open our eyes and start looking at things in a more general way, and say, you know, that doesn't make sense. That's not what we want. We want more representation of the whole spectrum of not just color, but sex, religion, and so forth. They will give it to you because you demand it. If you set back and just take what they're dishing out, they'll keep on dishing out crap. I would like to tell all the ladies out there, same thing. If you keep taking crap, they'll keep dishing it out. You has a really long history of military service. And I've seen that you've talked before about your great uncle Al. Yeah. And you have said that you talk to him pretty honestly, veteran to veteran, about the difficulties of serving, serving the United States as a black soldier. Yeah. What did he tell you? What was that conversation like when you got home? Conversation with Uncle Al, one of the first things he said he was he was proud of me. And that meant a lot. That really meant a lot. I remember speaking to him, I mean, like two days before I went out and he was upset. He said, I don't like this. He had a bad feeling. And I I remember thinking, oh, Uncle Al is nothing, you know, and everything. But as a veteran, a combat veteran of Vietnam, you know, they have an instinct about certain things. So when I came home, I remember talking to him and, you know, he talked about how some things have changed as a person of color in the military, and then other things haven't changed, but how we are making a a way forward. Also, there are times when I I still do. Last year, I sat down with Uncle Al, and we were talking, and he was telling me stories that I've never heard before in my life. As a combat veteran to a combat veteran, things just came up for him, and he was much more willing to share the stories about his time in Vietnam. So I think no matter what generation A veteran can always sit down with a fellow veteran and we have a connection and an understanding of what we've been through and how to make a way forward. So, Shona, you talk about how veteran to veteran, there's always some kind of bond there. And I wonder what it must be like to be a veteran in the United States. And I say that because veterans are used as political props sometimes. They're used in speeches. 
They are evoked all the time to support one side or another. They are held up as the right way to be a patriot. They are, and at the same time, not given the kind of support in terms of health care and retirement and all those other things that they would get. So what is it like to have to deal with this really kind of odd dichotomy of the way veterans are talked about versus treated? It is difficult to navigate very difficult to navigate. You have to really sit back and think about certain things when you're asked to participate. Is this about who I am and what I've done and what can help my community? Or is this just about them using me for the moment and then backing away and leaving you to deal with the after effects of your contribution? It's a lot to take in. And for young veterans coming back from this conflict, I think it's even worse to navigate without any assistance. I have a big military family. I can go to them and say, what do you think about this? How do you feel and stuff like that? And I could get honest feedback without any pressure. If somebody doesn't have that, they can be stuck in an awkward situation and then afterwards be feeling depressed and lonely after these people get what they need out of you. And then you're left holding the bag. And that can, on top of your PTSD, can exacerbate a condition very badly. It is difficult, but that's where it comes to that veteran to veteran. Go back to another veteran, ask their opinion, and and honestly sit down and talk to them. I have had the pleasure of talking to prisoners of war from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Desert Storm, and so forth. And we can all sit down at the table and fall right into a conversation like we've known each other for 10, 15 years. That's the camaraderie we have. So I think the best thing for any veteran is always to go back to another veteran and get that insight that only they can offer. You know, there's a lot of people coming out of the pandemic. It's especially tough for women and women of color. And I think that everyone has had to find ways to cope. And I wonder what yours are. One of the things I've started doing more of with one of my military organizations is speaking at schools, particularly like elementary schools and so forth. I did like two last month and talking to the kids is always interesting because, you know, young kids have no filter, but it's also rewarding because you get to see that future where we can be in the next 20 years, in the next 30 years with these young minds. And it just puts a smile on my face because I look at them and I easily tell them they were worth everything. They were worth every day. We all get a lot of advice that's totally irrelevant. But what advice have you gotten that actually has been useful? I come from a family of women. My mother has six sisters. My dad had two. Both sides have always told me, always be able to take care of yourself. They were married. They said, I love your uncle, but if he decides to act a fool, he can go and I can take care of myself. Always be able to maintain yourself. It doesn't mean that you want to belittle a man or take away from it. It just means things happen in life and you've got to be able to take care of yourself. And it's not just financially, it's also mentally and so forth. I think we always go back to that, oh, he's going to leave me. No, things happen. Spouses die. 
And then what do you do? You may have children and so forth. So always be able to take care of yourself. Because if you can't take care of yourself, how are you going to help anybody else? We really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Shoshana Johnson, former U.S. Army soldier, POW survivor, and advocate for female veterans. The Conferences for Women is the largest network of women's conferences in the nation. They draw more than 55,000 women and men to annual events in Boston, Philadelphia, Austin, and California. And on March 14th, online. Learn more at conferencesforwomen.org. I'm Celeste Headley, and this is Women Amplified from the Conferences for Women. Thank you so much for listening. Be kind and be well. Be well.